Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great website that gives you history the way it was intended to be told? With no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. Well, I've got it for you. It's LearnTrueHistory.com. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. Learn history from great professors who don't sugarcoat it for you. This is not for your delicate flowers. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. LearnTrueHistory.com. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 24, and this is an episode that's going to cover a topic by popular request. So I had a uh, listener email me and ask me to talk about the Electoral College and a proposal that's been floating around since 2011. This has been going around for five years called the National Popular Vote Bill. And I addressed this particular issue in my Founding Father's Guide to the Constitution, but I thought, you know, that is a great topic. Um, something that most people don't know anything about. We always get, uh, when we do our uh, discussions at Liberty Classroom, we always get our at least one question every so often about the Electoral College. What do you think about the Electoral College? And so um, I thought it would be a great topic for a podcast, and so I thank the listener for sending this over to me. Um, but what the let me summarize what the National Popular Vote Bill does. It is delegates the electors in that particular state to whoever wins the total popular vote for president of the United States. So, for example, if uh, a state like Alabama was to subscribe to this legislation and pass it in their legislature, uh, then if uh, candidate X won the election overall, the overall popular vote, but candidate Y won the state of Alabama, candidate X would still get all of the electors. So what this essentially is doing is eliminating the Electoral College. It's, it's removing the states from the equation. Uh, it's making the presidency a popularly elected executive, taking away any chance of having a system where the person who wins the total popular vote still does not win the presidency. Now, this particular bill has been pushed by those on the left because they're looking at demographics and they realize that in certain states like California, uh, many of your uh, New England states, uh, the Democrats get crushing supermajorities, particularly in California, where the demographics are in their favor, where a Republican uh, or a conservative is really never going to win that state uh, in a presidential election cycle. Now, I think this election cycle in 2016 could be a little different. I think California will actually be in play in some ways with Donald Trump. Now, I know he's got a lot of headwinds against him. If you look at the the quote-unquote rallies that have been held in California where people are waving around Mexican flags and throwing rocks and eggs and other things at Donald Trump supporters, I mean, to me, that type of activity should be a clear indication why anyone would not want to vote for uh, Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders. Those are the people that support them. You want you want to you want to vote for a candidate where you have people who clearly don't even want to be in the United States voting for president. I mean, this is 
it, it, it should almost work against them, but I know it doesn't. People are going to look at that and say, well, we got to be careful of a guy that nobody likes. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's silly. But anyways, so the idea is because, you know, typically in, since 2000, I mean, you know, George W. Bush won a razor-thin majority in 2004. He lost the popular vote in 2000. So since 2000, the Democrats have been winning the popular vote. This is why this proposal is out there now. And if you look at the roll call of states, I have that here in front of me. If you look at the roll call of states uh, that have signed on to it, 11 states. Now, when I wrote my um, when I wrote my Founding Fathers Guide to the Constitution in 2012, uh, only uh, seven states have enacted the legislation as... Uh, as of 2016, 11 states have enacted the legislation. That's Rhode Island, Vermont, Hawaii. Now, I don't know why Washington, D.C. is even in this equation. Again, Washington, D.C. getting three electoral college votes is the most ridiculous thing ever because it's not a state. But anyways, it has enacted the legislation. New Jersey, New York, Illinois, California, Washington State, Maryland, and Massachusetts. So you look at those states, and of course, they're all Democratic strongholds, uh, without a doubt. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. This is a naked push to ensure that the Democrats will never lose a presidential election. And if other states sign on to it under the guise of democracy, because that's essentially how it's being sold, this is Democratic. Uh, this, is, uh, this, is, this is good for the people. Well, let's talk about the Electoral College and why it's there, because I think that conservatives or libertarians or anyone who's really interested in federalism should oppose this bill, should oppose this process outright. It is extremely dangerous. George Mason mentioned in the Philadelphia Convention that what they wanted to avoid most was an elected monarch. And with the powers that the president has today, unconstitutional as they are, usurped as they have been from the Congress, and fabricated out of thin air, we don't need a popularly elected king. We don't need a demagogue, which is what we have anyways, who can simply persuade enough people. It doesn't matter where they are. Now you're looking at urban strongholds or, uh, or states that are entirely one direction. Do we really need California and New York essentially electing the president? Because that's what will happen. Uh, you'll have a push, of course, to dump more people in the United States. You'll have a push to get the demographics in their favor. It doesn't matter where they are then. They can be in any state. They can be in California. You could dump everyone into North Dakota if you wanted to. As long as you have enough people there to vote one way, that particular state or that region then will control the government. So having the Electoral College keeps the states in the loop and actually allows for these states that don't have large numbers of people to have a role in who the president is. And I think that's an important thing to consider. We have a union of states, not a union of one people. We don't have a national government. We have a federal republic that is codified by a constitution. Of course, the people on the left, the progressives, really don't care about that. All they care about is their political agenda, which is entirely unconstitutional. But that doesn't matter to them because the Constitution's a dead letter anyways. So when you look at the Electoral College system, there are two individuals, and, and there was one, um, the Heritage Foundation 
um, wrote a piece, the Destroying the Electoral College, the Anti-Federalist National Popular Vote Scheme. Um, and essentially, they, they thankfully trashed the, the, the scheme. Um, and um, the point is that they, they say that, look, this is just another, another Heritage Foundation says this is just another uh, plan to eliminate the Electoral College, which people who are interested in democracy don't want. Now, the piece gets into uh, the idea about why the Electoral College was established in the first place. Um, and I'll explain that. So you had two individuals at the Philadelphia Convention. You had uh, James Wilson and Governor Morris support the popular election of the president. That was rejected by an 8-2 to two vote. Now remember, in the Philadelphia Convention, votes were by state. So eight states said no, two said yes, and two abstained, or at least didn't vote. Elect- it, it, was, it was denied 8-2. to two. So the Electoral College was created to keep the states in the loop. In fact, the state legislatures would appoint the electors. And if there was no majority in the Electoral College, then the process goes to the Congress where the House of Representatives votes by state. By state. Not by individual, but by state. So in a state like California, where you have over 50 members of the House of Representatives, they would still only get one vote. It clearly shows that the founding generation wanted the states to be in the loop. They wanted the states to pick the president, not the people at large. In fact, the popular vote wasn't even tallied until 1824. So in this particular case, the Heritage Foundation gets it right. The man who proposed the Electoral College, Oliver Ellsworth, is an interesting character. Uh, Ellsworth was a firm proponent of the Constitution, and he always argued that the Constitution was still a compact between states and that the states would continue to be the central figures in the government and that they could essentially uh, abolish the Constitution or render it, um, abolish the general government by not sending your senators to the government to the general government. So the state still had complete control of the government. In fact, Ellsworth wanted Connecticut to secede from the Union in the 1790s. Um, That's a story that's not often told, but he and Rufus King cornered John Taylor of Caroline and said, hey, look, John, the South keeps blocking what we want to do, and we want out. This was 1794. (laughs) The Constitution had only been in effect for five years. So Ellsworth was definitely a states' rights guy. And that's another thing that people have a misconception about the Philadelphia Convention. Uh, it was not a battle between large states and small states. It was a battle between people who were Federalists and people who were Nationalists. And by Federalists, I mean people that wanted a federal republic of states, and Nationalists like James Wilson and Governor Morris and even James Madison at the beginning of the convention who wanted to essentially abolish the states, or Alexander Hamilton. They didn't want the states to be central in this process. So there's a myth going around that the reason the founders rejected this was because they didn't like democracy. Now, they did make some statements about that. Clearly, the founding generation was not interested in democracy. But the real kicker was that they didn't want the states eliminated from the process. 
That's why we have the Electoral College. And so this, this push to get rid of it, essentially, is a push to nationalize the election and to make it to where a Democrat will always win the election. You see, if this had been in effect in 2000, Al Gore's president, which, I mean, look, George W. Bush, as I wrote in Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America and Four Tried to Save Her, is not a good president. Uh, Al Gore would not have been a good president. Neither one was. But uh, you have a process by which the states then, the states that voted for George W. Bush, are completely ignored. And the states that don't subscribe to the bill then, don't subscribe to this process, their electoral college votes then become meaningless. Once you get 15 states that have enough electoral college votes to put this system in effect, the other states, the other 35, become meaningless. That's the sad thing. So this thing should be opposed in every state house and every legislature across the country, uh, particularly those that understand that this is a this is a naked attempt to eliminate essentially conservative opposition to the presidency. It's not a good idea. Now, I think that the electoral college system, the way that, that states delegate electors is actually wrong as well. It should not be a winner-take-all system. And there are two states, Maine and Nebraska, that have a system where it's not winner-take-all. You have at-large delegates, electoral college delegates, who go with whoever wins the popular vote in the state, but then the rest of the electoral college is divided up by congressional district. This allows uh, congressional districts that may not be in the majority of the state. You know, for example, in my own state of Alabama, there's always at least one, if not two, ele- uh, electoral districts that go Democrat. And so those, elect- those districts are always ignored because the Republican is going to win the state of Alabama. But if you had it the other way, then those two districts or one district would at least get one or two electoral college votes for the other guy. And I think that's a, a more equitable way to distribute the electoral college votes. The, the Republicans still going to win the state, still going to get two more electoral college votes. But even in California, this would work well because you have districts in California, uh, particularly in you know certain parts of California, that tend to vote Republican or a little shade a little more conservative. And so Republicans would win some electoral college votes in California. It would also open up the process by which third party candidates could get electoral college votes because there might be an area they can concentrate on. They could pick up some electoral college votes and they could start wreaking havoc with this system. Uh, you might have a libertarian candidate or a green candidate or some other third party candidate that could actually make it, you know, make some waves because they could get some electoral college votes this way. And then you might actually see a process by which we have real candidates and votes actually count. So I think that should be the push more than this stupid national popular vote initiative, which is um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, a, it's a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, but if you had a system where you could have electoral college votes divided up among congressional districts, you would have the potential for third-party candidates, fourth-party candidates, fifth-party candidates to actually have a role in this process and get some electoral college votes. You know, maybe there's a, maybe there's a congressional district like um, you know one with Massey or uh, 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 Justin Amesh who these areas they might actually get an electoral college vote. 
Now, the state, this, this National Popular Vote Initiative is completely constitutional. I know there's talk about, well, this is a violation of the Constitution because it's, you know, there, there's an interstate compact here and you can't do that. Uh, you know, you, you can't, you can't, um, you can't have uh, compacts between states like this. And that is true in the Constitution. But uh, all they're doing is simply saying this is how we're going to, uh, this is how we're going to uh, allot our electoral college votes. Um, and now some of them have said if we don't, we're not going to do it unless we get enough states to do it. So in that way, I think you could argue that there is a violation of the Constitution. But a state's simply saying, look, we're going to di- we're going to uh, divvy up our electoral college votes, or we're going to give our electoral college votes to whoever wins the, the total popular vote. I mean, a state can do that. They can determine how their electoral college votes are uh, are allotted or allocated uh, in the election. But I think it's a very bad idea. The founding generation would have considered it an awful idea. Uh, if they wanted this, they would have voted for it in Philadelphia in 1787. If they wanted this, they would have pushed for it in an, in an amendment after the Constitution was, was written. They didn't. If they wanted it, they would have counted the popular vote before 1824. It's also not coincidence that 1824 is really the first year you don't have a member of the founding generation uh, up for president. You know, Andrew Jackson is sort of a member of the founding generation. He was 13 during the war, and he did go to Congress, uh, you know, early, uh, early in, the, uh, uh, in the early Congresses. But he was not a member of the founding generation. He didn't partake in any of the debates, the, you know, whether it was the Declaration or the Constitution. He's not really a, he's a, he's of that second generation. So is John Quincy Adams. So it's not, it's not a coincidence that 1824 is the first year we have the popular vote tallied when we don't have a member of the founding generation up for president. They, they were completely against this idea, completely against the idea of the people being a, a one people, a national election for president. So I think if anyone listens to this podcast who is interested in state and local government, which in the last podcast I talked about how that should be what your focus should be, right? State and local government. You should be telling your representatives at your state level, do not vote for this stupid bill. It is a thinly disguised, I say naked, but maybe disguised, I mean, attempt at completely destroying the states in the process of electing the president which is something the founding generation were completely against. It will destroy another nail in the coffin of the original Constitution. We should not be in favor of that. If they want to do this through amendment, well, that's another that's another story. And Amending the Constitution like this, okay. I mean, I could say that amendment's a bad idea, but if I've said before about you know this idea that, well, if we have a convention they, and the second Bill of Rights is proposed and the states adopt it, it won't happen, but... Uh, you know, if that happens, in some ways that would be better than the situation we have now, which is where one side just completely ignores the Constitution and do illegal things all day long and yet never get called out for it. Uh, they never get uh, slapped on the wrist for it. They just, okay, we're just going to let them do it. Well, at least if you codify all this stuff in the Constitution, then it takes away the debate. Uh, then, I mean, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, and so you can say, well, that's just defeatist. Well, uh, I think the position we're in, where we have two different teams playing two different sports on two different fields, is a very bad situation. 
because the other side, the progressives, are playing football where uh, strategy, uh, it, the, the only strategy you have is to bulldoze the opponent however, with whatever means necessary. Well, we're playing baseball where tradition matters, custom matters, is a much more subtle game. Uh, you got to follow the rules. Football, uh, the rules change just about every year. There's always innovations. Uh, it's a punishing game. And essentially, that's, that's what progressives do. They change the rules all the time. Uh, the rules from the previous year don't matter. The rules from you know 100 years ago definitely don't matter. And so uh, we're just going to punish our opponent and bulldoze them, and we really don't care. So we can't get on the same field. So at least if the Constitution was amended, even in bad ways, we're all on the same field then at that point. And now you can just debate policy, whether these things are a good idea or not. Uh, so that would be my point to alleviate the fear that, you know, hey, a, uh, a runaway convention might produce something bad. Well, we've already got it. <laughs> and there's really no blocking it because the federal court system's complicit, the, the executive branch is complicit, the Congress is complicit, and the states are spineless. So uh, until we get the states actually standing up, we're not going to have a very vibrant federalist system. And that's what has to happen. That's think locally, act locally. That's pushback against stupid things like the National Vote Initiative. That's asserting state sovereignty when it comes down to obviously unconstitutional legislation that the general government passes and verifies, like Obamacare. Now, people wonder how you can do that with an individual mandate, unless you just had everybody not paying the mandate. It's very hard uh, to nullify that type of legislation. So essentially, that has to be done through the Congress. Uh, but there's, I mean, when you have the federal court system, now there are things you can do to block the federal court system. I, you know, one of the things is the Congress could just remove jurisdiction over such matters from the federal courts. The other is they could completely abolish uh, the federal court system. I mean, people don't realize that. Congress could just pass a bill saying we're removing all these appellate courts and district courts and everything else. The only court we're going to have is the Supreme Court. That's it. And we're going to remove... Uh, what was called Section 25 of the 1789 Judiciary Act, which allows for direct appeal of state court decisions to the federal court system. We're just going to remove that. We're not going to let you do that anymore. So all these things will be null and void. But uh, I, I don't believe that either Republicans or Democrats are interested in that. Even if Republicans held the Congress and uh, held the White House, they're probably not going to pass that type of legislation because they like the federal courts. That's the, that's the dirty little secret. Republicans are just as nationalist as the Democrats, and they like the federal court system if they can control it. That's the whole key. Um, and they like the executive branch having unlimited power if they can control it. So, the Electoral College needs to stay put. It needs to stay intact I could see some reforms from the states doing things like Nebraska or Maine, but not this national popular vote initiative. That would be a complete and utter disaster. And so it needs to be avoided and opposed with all of your might, if you can, at the state level. Put pressure on your representatives to not vote for this stupid thing. And it even gets, I mean, every now and then, every state, has, has proposed this thing. You know, it's, it's come up in state legislatures because you've got lefties in every state 
who want this because they believe that they'll win every presidential election. And you know what? They're right. They would. That's why it should be opposed in every way possible. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show.